So a big welcome to the modern people. And uh, it's nice to have all kinds of people in God's house this morning. You know, I was reminded uh, when I came in this morning, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And Peter says this, I perceive that God has no favorites. Uh, it, the King James Version says he is no respecter of persons. He loves everybody. Portuguese, Jesus loves you very much. Brazilians, Jesus loves you very much. Although probably not as much as the Portuguese. Just kidding. Russians, Jesus loves you very much. Amen. We can, uh, we can look at uh, a war at a difficult moment. But Jesus still loves Russia. Jesus has a plan for Russia, plan to bless Russia. I believe that with all my heart. I'm, I'm writing a, a booklet at the moment. And um, the people who are going to publish it, the first thing I'm going to ask them is, you've got to publish it in Russian. I, I want it to go to Russia. I want, I want to reach Russian people. And people in Russia need to know that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves everybody, no respecter of persons, even the Irish. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Loves the Irish, and, and I'm from the north, and uh, uh, I don't know whether he loves the north or the, the republic. Uh, uh, we're always fighting, aren't we? And, uh, but, but I think those days are gone. Hopefully those days are gone. We're, we're in good days today, and I'm excited for what God is doing. Um, I first uh, set foot in Monaghan 11 years ago. Uh, I met with a church leadership in Bali, Albany. Uh, then a year after that... Uh, we came down and did uh, some, some training with them. Then the following year, uh, now, well, yeah, nine years ago, uh, we had our first outreach in Monaghan. The following year, we opened Hope across the way. And uh, so blessed that we, uh, we handed Hope over to uh, the Shalom Fellowship here last year. That was a good decision. Uh, that, I'm so thankful for that. Um, uh, someone said to me recently, they said, Mitch, could, can you give me an update of what's happening in, in, uh, in Monaghan? I said, no. And they said, oh, is things not going well? I said, no, they're going very well. That's why I don't have to give you an update. I don't have to phone the pastors to ask how things are going. I know things are going good. <laughs> and uh, I, I, today, I, I did not know until today that the Methodist Church are meeting there in the mornings. And, and you guys are, are using it in the afternoon. So we always wanted hope to be used for God's glory. Uh, and that's all we want. He's no respecter of persons. You know, when God looks down in this place today, there's only two kinds of people in this room. There are people of faith and there are people of unbelief. That's it. There are people of faith who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin and rose again on the third day. Then there are people of unbelief. Now, some of the people of unbelief, they might believe, but they're unbelieving believers. <laughs> Have you ever met unbelieving believers? Uh, unbelieving believers are people who, well, they might get into heaven, but if they do get there, they're going to get there kicking and screaming. <laughs> Because they spend their whole life just kind of questioning everything. That kind of unbelieving believers. Then there are people who don't believe. I, I, but I want to know where you are today. I want to know if you're on this side. Because all it takes is faith. 
Nothing more, nothing less. Your miracle today is just an issue of faith. Your, your breakthrough today is just an issue of faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you're sick today, it's because of your lack of unbelief. But what I am saying is that faith is the only thing that you bring to the table. Amen. Nothing more, nothing less. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church, how many portions of the Bible that you know all are good and noble and noteworthy, but faith is the only thing that connects you to God. Nothing more, nothing less. You know what? The Bible verse that we all know, or many of us will know, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, what's the word? Believe. Believe. It's not whosoever repents. It's not. It's all gone quiet. It's not who is whosoever repents. It's whosoever believes. You see, repentance is a fruit that comes from belief. But belief, repent. Repentance doesn't come first. That's where religion starts, where you try to clean yourself up. Oh, I'll be good. I'll try and stop saying these things, doing these things. I'll try and be a good person, and then God will accept me. It doesn't work like that. All you bring to the table is your faith. You believe in God. Your hand is a hand of faith saying, yes, I believe in you. And God's hand is a hand of grace. It's grace and mercy, and God says, I will make the connection. That's all that it takes repentance comes after you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose for you. If you get it the other way around, you just get religion. It's about works, do this and do that. But I thank the Lord that Shalom Church in here, we are a faith church. We believe in God, and we believe that He's a God of miracles and a God of breakthrough. Amen? And I'm praying that today will be a day of breakthrough and miracles for you. Um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about himself. You know, the, we need to know what Jesus has to say about himself. We need to know what he says about us. And then we also need to know his actions, and his actions always back up what he says. He's not a God who said one thing and did another. He's consistent in all that he said and all that he does. And he declares the seven I am's in John. Do you know them? I don't know if, you, if you've got the Gospel of John, you could go home. I'll give you a little copy if you don't have one, the Gospel of John. And you can highlight all the times where Jesus said, I am. Now, very important, Before I, I'm going to focus today on when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But before I come to that, let me give some context to this. When Jesus said, I am, it's a very bold declaration because the Jewish audience, most of the people who are listening to Jew Jesus are a Jewish audience. And they know from the Torah, from the early scriptures in Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. Any Presbyterians in here? The burning bush is a very important symbol. And underneath it, I can't remember what the Latin phrase is, but this is what it means. Burning yet flourishing. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be burning yet flourishing. Burning that I'm not going to burn out. Burning but flourishing. That's the Presbyterian motto. Burning yet flourishing. But the, the story behind that is God spoke to Moses through the bush. And as he spoke to, God, to Moses through the burning bush, 
Moses took the instructions, but filled with fear, he says, And who will will I say sent me? Who is this? And God spoke through the voice and said, Tell them, I am. He revealed his name as I am. God said, I am. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am Yahweh. I am the God who created the heavens and the earth. I am. And Jesus declares himself, I am. You know, there's one I am statement of Jesus that's not in the Bible, but he did say it. And it's my favorite one. You see, in in Jewish context, there is a time called the Bar Mitzvah. Anyone ever heard of the Bar Mitzvah? That's when a young boy becomes a man. And what they do is they stand at the front of the synagogue on that day, and they say this, can you imagine Jesus as a young boy, 13 years of age, standing, fully God, fully man, and he has to say this, today, I am a man. Whoo! <laughs> Today, Jesus, the Son of God, in that moment, in front of everyone, said, Today, I am a man. I have become human flesh for each of you. The most important thing for you to do today is to get your, right, your life right with God, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God, and he is a rewarder. Everybody say a rewarder. He is a rewarder of all of those who diligently seek him. If you pursue God in this life, he will reward you with abundance. He declared himself as the I am. The seven I am's. He said, I am the bread. When he said, I am the bread, he didn't mean like that little bit of bread in the basket at the end of the table. Like, you know, if you didn't have enough dinner, I'll have a little bit of bread. I'd say that to my son, you know, he's 17. 17 17-year-olds eat a lot of food. (laughs) You know, and he eats all his food, and then he'll look at us like, what's next? And I'm like, just go and have some bread. Just to kind of fill you up a bit. But Jesus wasn't saying when he said, I am the bread of life. He's not saying he's an optional extra. He's saying he's the main thing. In that culture, bread was the main thing. Jesus said, I'm the main thing. And if you come to me... You will never hunger. Jesus declared himself as the true vine. He said, if you connect to me, if you connect with me, then, then if you connect with me, your life will be complete. But he said, but if you disconnect from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without being connected to Jesus. He said, I'm the vine. He declared himself as the light of the world. The audacity of that. You know, light travels at 316 million million miles an hour, four million times faster than a Ferrari car. I mean, light is pretty impressive. The the sun shines at 380 million, 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 million watts of light. And Jesus said, that's not bright. I'm the light of the world. Come on. I'm the light of the world because I will shine in the areas of your life where the sun can't reach. You got addiction in here. You got problems. You got habits that you can't shake. You're covering up with a lot of abuse from your childhood, whatever it might be. This is Jesus said, hey, I will be light. And I will be a light that will illuminate and bring health and bring vitality. We can't live without the sun. We can't live without the sun. Amen. 
I am the light of the world. Jesus declares himself as the door. He said, if you go in through the door and come out through the door, you'll find green pastures. I love that verse when Jesus said, I am the door. He's the door to salvation. But he said, if you come through me, you'll go in and out and find green pastures. What does that mean? You know, whenever I, when I was 19, I wasn't a Christian. If you were to say to me, Jesus is the door, what does that mean to you? I would have said, yeah, prison door. A prison door. Who would want to become a Christian? You become a Christian, all of a sudden you have to like wear a jacket. <laughs> you become a, become a Christian, you have to keep all these rules. I look at Christians and go, you're so boring. You miss all the parties. You miss all the fun. You're like, oh, hemmed in. But actually, I find in my 30 years as a Christian, he gives us abundant life, and he gives us freedom. And, and, and any structure is, that is there is just to help us enjoy the freedom. I, I like football. Any Chelsea fans in the room? Oh, no. No. There's no Chelsea fans. I'm pa I'm pastor, I'm the wrong player. <laughs> Uh, but listen, listen, uh, can you imagine Chelsea playing Manchester United? We probably win. Any Manchester United fans in the room? That's okay. Right, okay, so. Help me, Jesus. So, the Manchester United badge is a picture of the devil. If you. <laughs> if you Manchester United fans, if you want to wear a picture of the devil over your heart, that's between you and God. I'm just leaving you alone. <laughs> Chelsea Badge is a lion, lion of Judah. Hallelujah. Anyway, <laughs> here's my point. Can you imagine Chelsea playing Manchester United, and there's no referee, and there's no lines marked out, and there's no one to start the match or finish the match, and there's no goalposts? What would you get? Chaos. Why are those markings there? They help them enjoy the freedom of the game. Are you with me? And so in the Christian faith, Jesus is the door that gives us freedom to go in and out and enjoy all of the abundance that he has given us. He declares himself as the resurrection and the life. That's very important. Maybe you're coming in here and you're thinking, well, what about all of the other religions in the world? Listen, I can take you to the place where Buddha is buried. I can take you to the place where Muhammad is buried. I can take you to the place where Vishnu is buried. I can take you to the place where Father Abraham is buried. I can take you to the place where Elvis Presley is buried. But I cannot take you to the place where Jesus is buried. Amen. Amen. I've been there. I've been there. You know, in Israel, they've got three tombs. They've got one that the Catholics say, that, well, this is the tomb. And there's one that the Protestants say, no, this is the tomb. And then there's an archaeologist called John, and he said, no, this is the tomb. Whatever tomb it is, and I've seen all three, here's the big idea. They're all empty. They're all empty. Amen. There's no one in the tomb. That makes the Christian faith distinctly different from every other faith. Because Jesus declared, even before his death, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Amen. Amen. And so we worship a risen God in here. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or rich or poor. He's no respecter. He doesn't care as long as you believe that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose for you. And he goes on. Amen. And he goes on and he declares himself the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Not, not a way. Not a way. 
the way, the truth, and the life. Some people get upset and they say, well, Mitch, you know, that's a pretty, bit of like an exclusive statement. And if you say you're right and everybody is wrong, then, then that's ego. And I'm saying, no, it's not ego because I didn't come up with it. Take it up with the author. Take it up with the author. Don't take it up with me. Jesus declared himself, and it only makes sense to declare that there's only one way. You think about it like this. Um, well, first of all, there's, this, there's a temple in Chicago. It's got nine doors. It says that the nine doors represent the nine different faiths of the world in the different ways to God. That doesn't make sense because what God do you worship in the temple? Is he one God? Is he many gods? Is he a Trian God? Is he a polytheistic God? What's the nature, what's the character of the God like? But the second thought is this. If there is one God at like the top of a mountain, anyone seen that illustration before or heard of it? God is at the top of a mountain and there are many roads up the mountain and one road up the mountain is just being a good person. And one road up the mountain is going to church every week and saying your prayers. And another road up the mountain is the Islamic faith. And another road up the mountain is the Hindu faith. And another road up the mountain is the Christian faith. All these different roads. And as long as you travel the path that you feel is the right one, you'll reach God in the end. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If God at the top of the mountain, sent his one and only son, shard with spit, bleeding, dying on a cruel cross in agony. And he didn't have to because there's another way called just being good. I would have a problem with the God at the top of the mountain. I would go so far to say as I wouldn't want to meet him. What kind of father, and I've got two kids, what kind of father would send his son to die if he didn't have to? Are you with me? And so when Jesus declares himself as the way, the truth, and the life, he declares it because it is true. He is the only way. And if you want to get an eternity in heaven and you want an abundant life now, then you give your life to Christ. Amen? Come on. Come on, people. Let's give Jesus glory. Let's give Jesus glory because that's his word. That's his word. And all we're doing today is we're letting his word speak for itself. And his word is truth. And his word is a lamp to our feet. And his word is light. And his word is hope. And God is not obliged to back up my stories. God is not obliged to back up, you know, whatever we do in our church with like fancy screens and all. It's all good to have. But he is obliged to back up his word. He is obliged. His word will not return void. And so we go to God's word and we speak and we preach and declare God's word as a truth. Can I hear amen? amen? All right. We've got one R. You're getting nervous. <laughs> Just kidding. I think. Uh, well, I have a friend in, uh, in, in Florida. His, I've been to his church many times. His Sunday services, about four hours long. I like those kind of services. Yeah. Uh, Cause you maybe you're getting nervous now, but uh, I, I like those services because I just want to soak in it. I don't want to feel like a washing machine top spin service, 50 minutes in and out. You know the fast, the fast spin you know, on your washing machine. I, I think sometimes we just need to soak in what God's saying. Amen. You know, we just need to soak. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to open it up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the 10th chapter. We're going to read from John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief has a purpose. He's talking about the devil here. The thief, the devil has a purpose. And it is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Who wants a rich and satisfying life? An abundant life. Jesus said, that's my purpose. The devil's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know, I think about it like this sometimes. The the word for thief, the Greek is klepto. You may have heard of the word a kleptomaniac. I don't know how that translates into the Russian for, or Portuguese for, for those translating, but kleptomaniac is someone who is obsessed with stealing. Has anyone heard that word before? Yes. A kleptomaniac. And I, I think often it helps me to think the devil is a kleptomaniac, and he's absolutely obsessed with trying to steal from me, trying to steal my joy, trying to steal my peace, trying to steal my family, trying to steal my abundance. But I always go back to him and remind him, you're a kleptomaniac, but I have a God who gives a rich and satisfying life. And I have a God who is victorious over anything that you can offer because my God is light and you're darkness. And I don't know if you've observed this before, but there is no opposite of light. Darkness is not the opposite of light. There is no opposite of light. You can go to a shop and you can buy a torch. And the torch shines a beam of light into the darkness. But I don't care whether you go to Amazon or where you go. You cannot buy a dark torch that shines a beam of darkness into the light. It's not possible. Why? Because the light always overcomes the darkness. Amen. Always. And so when the devil comes in the dark to become a klepto and to steal and to kill and to destroy, all I need to do is shine the light of Christ. It always overcomes. Jesus said, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, verse 11, lays down his life for his sheep. A hard hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters them. The hard hand runs away because he's only working for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. Everybody paying attention? Yep. Again, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So, I sacrifice, I lay down my life for my sheep. Very important verse, 16. I have other sheep too. They are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. 
They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Some things to ponder and reflect upon. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, before he said this, he says this. I have come to bring abundant life. I'm the good shepherd. Now, I want you to think here about his audience. A Jewish audience in the hills of Galilee. First and foremost, everyone in that audience understood the culture of a sheep and shepherd. It wasn't strange to them. They had sheep all around them in the hills. No one is sitting in the audience elbowing their friend going, what's a shepherd? Nobody. They, they all totally understood the context of a sheep and shepherd. In Ireland, we've got lots of sheep. I think, it was like, I think on our last check, there's like for every two people, there's one sheep. That's quite a lot, isn't it? In New Zealand, for every one person, there's five sheep. There's like sheep everywhere in New Zealand. I remember visiting once. I was kind of thinking passport control would be a sheep like bah. <laughs> sheep everywhere. But in, in Israel, everyone understood the sheep and shepherd, and they understood historically through the Torah, a sheep and shepherd culture between God and his people. They understood from the scriptures Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the Psalm, that God is a shepherd, and they are his people. They also understood that the leader of Israel is a shepherd to his people. Moses was a shepherd to his people. And they also understood that there is a shepherd who comes. It speaks of in Malachi, shepherd to come, and the shepherd to come is the Messiah. They understood all of this, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus wants to say to you today, I am. I'm the good. Everybody say good. good. Say it again. Good, good shepherd. I am so thankful. Whenever Jesus declared himself good, the word is tov. It means like morally good. He is the pinnacle, the bar of goodness. If you want to find the bar of goodness, you find it in Jesus. I've got something that might shock you today. Are you ready for it? Our governments are not morally good. They're not. But I'll go further than that, right? Our schools are not morally good. Our friends are not always morally good. Our churches are not always morally good. You know, sometimes you can get hurt in church. I bet there's some people in here, you've been hurt in church. Someone overpromised something and underdelivered, whatever it might be. But listen, if you've been hurt in church, genuinely, from my heart, I am so sorry that that happened. Please forgive us if we have hurt you in the church. But what we want to say in the sincerity of our forgiveness is that we are not the pinnacle of moral goodness, but Jesus is. Jesus is always good in a world where our children can't figure out what is right and what is wrong. It is good to know that we have a God who is always good. In, in, in Pentecostal, he's okay. In Pentecostal days, um, uh, or beg your pardon, in, in, in Pentecostal meetings I used to go to like, well, 20 years ago, we had a little phrase, and it was this. God is good all the time and all the time. You remember that? God is good. 
And all the time. It's great. There was a little song I went with it, but I'm not going to sing today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God is good all the time. And all the time, he is tov. I am the good shepherd. Now, context. Jewish audience. When they hear, I come to give you abundant life. I'm the good shepherd. This is what they also hear. They hear Psalm 23. Many of us in this room will know Psalm 23. It's, it's oftentimes read at funerals, both Catholic and Protestant, and different cultures. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. When Jesus said, I come to give you a rich and satisfying life, I'm the good shepherd, they hear. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. It's a beautiful psalm. And it's a beautiful psalm to speak, that God wants to speak over us today. The Lord is our shepherd. We have everything we need. You know what it says in most of our translations? It makes me to lie down. It's a bad translation. Well, I'm not sure what translation you use, but can I suggest? Just, just rub that out. The, the better translation is he settles me down. Not he makes me. He settles me down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Still waters, green pastures. I don't know if anyone in here is a shepherd, but... Um, I, I know a couple of things about sheep, and, and one is this. They will never drink from fast water. They won't drink from fast water. They need still water. The other thing they love is green pastures. In Israel, nine months of the year, the hills are just yellow. They're, they're yellow. It's just that yellow stuff. And there's only like three months of the year where it's lush green. And so, like, put yourself in the mind of a sheep. Right? You got, you wake up, it's like lush green, nice pools of still water, a, a, a shepherd to protect you from the wolf, and a wall to protect you from the sunlight. I mean, you just lie down and scratch your belly, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, you no, no, for a sheep, it's like, oh, that's heaven. This is, this is heaven. I love my shepherd that he's brought me here. That's what it's got to be like for us. We have a good shepherd. Who has experienced the green pastures and still waters? Somebody give Jesus a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. He's always good. And he brings with him abundance, a rich and satisfying life. All the time. And people say, oh, you got to be very careful, Mitch. You know, you don't go down the line of preaching like health and wealth. Well, I don't want to push the health and wealth too far, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus didn't come to preach like sickness and poverty. Like, is, Jesus didn't come to declare us poor and to declare us sick. He declared a rich and satisfying and abundant life. In the Psalms, it says this. When, when they, the children of Israel, two million of them, came out of Egypt, it says this. He brought them forth loaded with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble amongst their tribes. Think about that. Loaded with silver and gold, and not one feeble amongst their tribes. That's a rich blessing. 
That's a supernatural blessing. And that's the old covenant. Hebrews 8 says that Jesus came to bring us a better covenant. So if that's what the old covenant is like, let's go back to the old covenant. Or else we start to live in a new covenant, which is even better than that. It's even better than that because to obtain that is about rules and regulations because the contract was between God and man. But now the new covenant is not between God and man. The new contract is between a father and a son. And Jesus kept the contract. Amen. And because Jesus kept the contract, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. And of his fullness have we all received. Amen. There's a rich, abundant blessing for everyone who puts their trust in the Savior. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Everybody with me? He's always good. And he's always bringing the blessings and favor of God. I am the good shepherd, very quickly, is an exclusive statement. It's exclusive. He said, I am the only one. The same as the other I ams. I am the only good shepherd. But it's also not just an exclusive statement. It's an inclusive statement. It's inclusive. He's the good shepherd for everyone. I love this verse. I love it. Where Jesus speaking to his Jewish audience, in case they all get, you know, uppity and excited, this is just for us. He said this, I have, verse 16, I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's an inclusive statement, but it's an exclusive statement. Everybody is invited. Everybody. Jesus said, this is not just for the Jewish people. This is for the Gentiles. No one is left out. Russian, Lithuanian, Spanish, Portuguese, Brazilian, North of Ireland, uh, Republic of Ireland. No one is left out. Jesus said, I have many sheep, and there is one shepherd, and there is one flock. Amen. There's not a Presbyterian one and a Methodist one and a Pentecostal one. There's just one that declares Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can you hear an amen? So we're all in it together. And I know, like your pastor has invited you to the, the, the harvest gathering. I really encourage you to show up at that. I don't want you to kind of be uppity and go, well, you know, we're Pentecostal. We're a bit better than them. So we don't No. Never, ever put yourself up in a position where you think you're, you're higher than better. Because everybody needs everybody. In Corinthians, it's very clear on the gifts of the Spirit. Very clear. There are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives His gifts as He will. The one will have a message in tongues. The one will have an interpretation. The one will have gifts of healings. Everybody say gifts of healings. It's not exclusive. That's very important. It's not exclusive. It's not that one person will have the gift of healing of every kind of uh, disease and sickness. Jesus can do that, but he doesn't put that on one person. Why is that? Because all of a sudden we would elevate him. He would all of a sudden like he would get his ego would inflate and we would inflate it for him. But Jesus said no. You, and in that particular moment, you might have a gift and healing in this, but you might have it in another moment, and you might have it in another moment, and you might have a specific gift in healing for people who have backache, and maybe not for something else, because it takes the whole body 
to raise a child. It takes a whole family to raise a kingdom. It takes a whole family of God to reach a generation. And if we're going to reach Ireland for Jesus, it's going to take everybody. Don't get uppity and think that you're better than somebody else because teamwork makes the dream work. I have other sheep too. I'm so glad that Jesus said that. Are we all with me? Okay, I'm just going to take a couple more points. And then, uh, and then I'm going uh, to pray for you. I'm going to invite that you make a decision today to make Jesus your, your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I lay down my life for my sheep. In the passage before that, this is what he said. A hard hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon his sheep because they don't belong to him. The wolf attacks and scatters the flock. The hard hand runs away because he's only working for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm going to make three points and finish. This one's important. Jesus wants to say to you today, I am not the hard hand. Whatever you're walking through, maybe you have been praying for a breakthrough for many years. Jesus wants to say to you today, I am not leaving you. Maybe you feel like everybody in work is against you at the moment. Maybe you feel like it, sickness just keeps hitting my door. It's one thing after another. I feel weary. Jesus wants to say to you today, I am not the hard hand. I am never going to leave you. Picture in the moment, picture in the moment that you're here and there are a bunch of wolves, green eyes, big fangs, and they're coming out to destroy you. And there's only one thing, one thing that keeps you from the wolves, and it's Jesus Christ. And he wants to say to you today, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Now, I'll tell you, if you're not a Christian in here today, I would worry about you. I'm 30 years a Christian, truthfully. Put me on a lie detector test. Truthfully, I wouldn't want to live one minute without my hand in Jesus' hand. God appears in Genesis 15, verse 1. He speaks to Abraham. He says this to Abraham. Be not afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. I'm your shield, your great reward. Jesus is saying the same thing. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. I'm your great reward. I will never leave you. Can I hear an amen? amen? Jesus will never, ever leave you. Never, never. It's not in him. He doesn't have that capacity. And even if tomorrow you have a bad day, right? You kick the dog or whatever happens. You know, you, you, just have, you, you crashed the car. You've just had a real bad day. Your tempers came out. Jesus doesn't say that. I'm, I'm done. Never, never. I, I'll tell you what I think might happen. I don't have a good theology for this, but my opinion, different from God's word. So I'm putting a little footnote on this, right? I think what can happen in that moment when you're in willful sin is that God says, I'm not looking, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll face the wolves on. I'm not going to look upon your sin. You'll never see me because you can't be in sin and see the glory of God at the same time. But he will never leave you, nor abandon you. Another little point follows from this. It's very obvious, but it's very profound. 
if Jesus is not the hard hand, if he's not the servant, stop treating him like a hard hand. You get what I'm saying? If Jesus is not the hired hand, stop treating him like the hired hand. Just using him when you want to on a Sunday, on a Wednesday. Just hiring him when you want to. That's not how it works. You're, when you become a Christian, you're not hiring him. You're firing you. You're not hiring him. You're firing you. You're surrendering your life to his Goodness. My last point. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. There is only one who laid down his life for you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born to a teenager in a dusty barn, the teenager, the Son of God, wrapped himself in skin, entered the dark, wet womb, was born in a manger for you. For 33 years, he lived a sinless life. He modeled for us what it means to live a fulfilled life. He taught us. He preached. He backed it up with signs and wonders. And in and around the age of 33, Jesus died for you. For every sin you have ever committed, for every wrong you have done in the past, for every wrong you have done in the future, Christ paid the price for you. He's the only one who can reconcile you back to God Nobody else, only God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that on the third day he rose again victorious? Because belief is the only thing that connects you to God. Remember I said that at the start, and I'm coming back to it at the end. Has there been a time in your life, whether you're the youngest in here or the oldest, has there been a time in your life where you ask Jesus to forgive you? Has there been a time in your life when you invited him to come and be your personal Lord and Savior? You're not Christian because your mom and dad's a Christian, because your husband or your wife's a Christian. It's a very personal moment. It's a personal moment that brings you into the flock. Every sheep has to stand and make its own decision before it comes through the door. Would you like to become a Christian? Maybe you're backslidden. Well, today's a good day to slide back. This is the day of grace, the day of mercy. God is extending his hand of grace. His hand of grace is extendable to you. You might say, oh, Mitch, you don't know my life. You don't know my life. All I know, these are days of grace. If you would like to become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not fancy words. I'm going to tell you what the prayer is. It's not fancy words. It's the sincerity of your heart. I'm going to tell you what the prayer is so you can think about it before you pray it. Dear Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. 
I'm truly sorry for the wrong things I have done. I got it wrong. Forgive me. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again on the third day. You said in your word, if I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I shall be saved. Jesus, I confess you today as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you that one day I get a home in your kingdom where I can praise you forevermore. If you would like to pray that prayer with me right now, then after you pray the prayer, while every head is bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you just where you're at. Just quickly put your hand up. It'll be myself and the pastor. We'll be watching. Nobody else. Pastor will be watching to help us and follow up afterwards so that we can help you come into the sheepfold and become part of the family of God. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I made it 30 years ago. No regrets. I promise you this. If you give your life to Jesus today, you're not going to come back here in a year's time and say, you know what, Mitch, that was the worst decision I ever made. I was an alcoholic before that meeting. I'm even worse now. It's not going to happen. Because when Jesus comes into your life, he gives you a blessing. He gives you favor. He gives you a hope. He gives you a purpose. He gives you a future. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, then every head bowed, eyes closed, pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and taking the punishment that I deserve. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again on the third day. You said in your word that if I believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day and confess with my lips, then I shall be saved. So according to your word, I declare right now, Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you. And one day, give me a home in your kingdom where I can praise you forevermore. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or a recommitment, quickly put your hand up where you are. Quickly, quickly put your hand up. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Three people. Anybody else? Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? First time or a recommitment. I'm not going to prolong it. Anybody else? You prayed that prayer for the first time. Recommitment. Quickly put your hand up where you're at. Thank you. Another one. Anybody else? Another one. Thank you. Four. Thank you. Five. Thank you. God bless. Anybody else? Five people this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father God, we thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. We pray for those five people who have responded. And maybe those who are, who are just almost, but they didn't put their hand up. I pray, Lord, you'll bless them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them. Fill them to overflow. May they go out of this place today dancing and leaping and praising God because they've been set free by the hand of the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.